Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, the podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word. Together, I'm your host, Charles Egwood, and today we are in John chapter 8 with an episode entitled, Following Jesus. So the main idea of this chapter, and it's an interesting chapter, we're going to talk about some of the ins and the outs, is this, those who truly believe in Jesus, and that's one of our key words throughout the book of John, has been believe and eternal life. So those who truly believe in Jesus as Messiah, obey him and continue in his word. That's going to encapsulate the entire chapter here, even from the first story, And I want to ask you before we jump into the first story in this chapter, what does it mean for you to follow after Jesus? Now, there's really only one true answer to that. I don't ask that to, you know, this kind of postmodern, you know, oh, it means to me this, and it might mean to you that, and that's okay. No, there is an answer to this, but I want to ask you, and as you read this chapter, this is what I want to open up, is what does it mean to follow after Jesus? Jesus. And John is going to answer that very question throughout this chapter. And what we're going to see, and what we've seen throughout the book so far, is a repetition of this idea of go and sin no more. He said this to the man that he healed on the Sabbath. He's going to say this to the woman caught in adultery. Now, if you read this story, this is verses 1 through 12, you're going to notice some weird lines in your Bible. You're going to notice some weird notes in your Bible. And the reason for that is this story is not in the earlier manuscripts of John, so some scholars think that it was an add-in, that John may or may not have written it. We don't know. Uh, There's just no consensus on that, but we would say that as we read through the first 12 verses, and as you read through it on your own, you'll see that it's consistent with who Jesus is, and the message that John says, and the message that Jesus has promoted. So it's it's good to include, whether John wrote it or not, or as another person wrote it and it was included. Why wasn't it in the earlier manuscripts? We don't know. But we do know it's consistent with John and his themes. It's consistent with Jesus and his teaching. And we look at verses 1 through 12. I'm going to skim through them instead of reading them. But we have a woman who's been caught in adultery, and the Pharisees bring this woman to Jesus to trick him, and they, in verse 4, will call him teacher. And they don't call him that because they believe he's a true teacher or rabbi, they do it almost mockingly. Uh, but here's because they're trying to trick him anyway and capture him and trap him in this word game. And and here it says in the law of Moses in verse five, it commanded us to stone women that have been caught in adultery. You know, by the way, there's no man; he's not brought in. And the law of Moses incorporates more than just the punishment of the woman. So they they're half truthing, truthing this. Uh, and so, he, what do you say? And, and they're putting Jesus on the line. So. He does this thing where he writes in the sand, and then he goes, the very famous quote, most of you will know this verse, even if you've never read the Bible, you've probably heard this referenced. Uh, The one who is without sin among you should throw the first stone at her. Now, Jesus did not say that as a way for us to go to people when they call out our sin. We go, ah, he was without sin, throw the first stone. That's not how that's supposed to be used. But what he's saying is, if you're without sin, you you throw the first stone. Now, what did Jesus write in the sand? We, we don't know. Maybe it was their sins. Maybe it was the name that we don't know. It doesn't say. John doesn't say. Or the writer of this little insert doesn't say. But it, it rattles them, because what you have is he stoops down again and begins writing, and when they heard this, one by one, they begin leaving from the older to the younger. They don't throw the stones, because they're not without sin. 
Notice Jesus does not throw a stone, but that's not because he's without sin, it's because he's forgiven her. This is another claim at his deity and that he's the only one that has the power to forgive sins. And he looks at the woman in verse 10 and he says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Now watch this, this is important. Don't forget the last line. Go from now on and do not sin anymore. Now that's important because following Jesus is not about just being forgiven and continuing in sin. It's about being forgiven and continuing out of sin, meaning repenting of sin, turning away from sin, going and sinning no more. Now, we will continue to have sin in our lives, but if we're continuing in sin willfully, without any resistance, without any repentance, there's a major problem. That's not what following Jesus looks like. So, in the first answer to our question, uh, what does following after Jesus look like or mean to us, it means this, it means going and sin, it means repenting of sin. It does not mean looking at people and saying, oh, we all have sin, it's okay. It's And, and that's often how people misinterpret or misuse that verse, and that is a misuse, because Jesus wasn't saying that what she's doing is fine, she doesn't need to repent, You're, you, you all have sin, don't judge. He's saying, you all have sin, and yet you're not going to repent. I'm going to offer her repentance, and she takes it and goes and sins no more. She doesn't continue in a, the sin of adultery as far as we know. He's offering her forgiveness, grace, and a call to repentance. And that's a consistent call throughout Jesus' ministry, a call to leave sin and repent and walk after him in righteousness. So now we jump from verse 12, and he spoke to them again, and he said, I am the light of the world, and anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now that should sound familiar, John 1, 1 through 12, he references very similar themes of light and dark, and now we have Jesus, I am the bread of life, I am the way, he's going to say later, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and here he's going to say, I am the light. It's another I am statement. I am the bread of life. I am the light. And the light dispels or takes away the darkness. So we see that knowing Jesus means knowing the Father because the light tells you who the Father is. So we continue reading. So the Pharisees say to him, as as he says this, verse 13, you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. So they don't question you're the light. They just say, oh, your testimony doesn't mean anything because you're testifying about yourself. And our law says you can't do that. And so he's going to answer, even I, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where, I'm came, where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Now, Jesus does judge, by the way, but he says that when he says, I judge no one, he doesn't judge anyone on his own authority, but of the authority of the Father. And he continues with that, says, and if I do judge, my judgment is true, not because of in a particular thing, but because of this. It is not I alone who judge, but the Father who sent me. So knowing Jesus, following Jesus, means not only knowing the words of Jesus, but knowing the Father. So you see how he says, I'm the light, and the light reveals truth. It dispels darkness. And they come at him in darkness saying, ah, you know, but your testimony in truth. It becomes a question of testimony, but we see that if we Follow after Jesus. The testimony of Jesus takes us to knowledge of the Father. He says, if I do judge, my judgment is true because I don't judge alone. I judge with the Father and the Father who sent me. And this is common language throughout the book of John. I, the Father sent me, and I go for the Father. If you believe in me, you know the Father. He's clarifying this again. Following after me is knowing the Father. So Jesus clarifies 
this testimony thing, and he says, you don't know me. You don't know my father either, and this is going to really ruffle the, their feathers. It's going to really get them a- angry because he's, he's saying, you don't know the father. You don't know the very one that you read the scriptures to know. So we're going to see that knowing the father, clar- or Jesus here clarifies that if you don't know me, you don't know my father, and it's going to be their lack of belief that's going to betray them. So he continues in verse 17, even your law is written, and it says that there's a testimony of two witnesses is true, and I'm the one who testifies about me and myself, and the Father also testifies about me, but you don't know him. You comb the scriptures and, and you've missed him. You don't know who he is, because if you knew me, you would know who he is, and if you knew him, you'd know me. And they ask him, of course, in verse 19, well, where is the Father? I don't know if that's a trick question or they just completely don't understand what he's saying. And, and Jesus answers them, you, you, you know neither me nor my father. He goes, you, you don't know them. And Jesus answered, if you knew me, you would also know my father. There's that kind of back and forth that Jesus does with them. And he, if you know me, you know the father. If you know the father, you know me. Verse 20, he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple. But, and this is important, no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. And uh, the hour of his crucifixion. So no one seized him, no one arrested him yet. But I'm sure they were stung by these words because he's saying, you don't know the Father, you seek the Bible to know. You comb the scriptures and you don't know him and you don't know me. And that would have been incendiary for them. They would have been going crazy over that. And so as we continue through this story, again, so following after Jesus, so we want to keep our theme in mind, following after Jesus means knowing the Father, and we see that through Jesus' words as well as through all of Scripture testifies about who Jesus is, and if we know Jesus and we follow Jesus, we know the one who sent him. We know the Father. Following Jesus is knowing the Father. Lack of belief in the Father means we're not following Jesus. We don't have the words of eternal life if we're not following after him. We also see that following after Jesus means hearing the words of Jesus, and this is going to be the section of verses 21 through 30. We hear that hearing but not perceiving is not following after Jesus. So let's jump into verse 21, where he says, Then he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. This is pretty heated in how he's saying this. Where I'm going, you cannot come. And so they don't understand what he's saying, so he says he won't kill himself, will he? Uh, when he says, where I'm going, you cannot come, because their thoughts when he says that are this. They hear the words, and they, they think, oh, well, you know, where where he's going, well, he's not going, we're going, we're going to heaven, because everybody assumes they are great and they are good with God, even though they're not. And their thoughts are, well, we're, we're good with God, we're going to heaven, he's not, so he must be going to kill himself, maybe, because that, he won't go where we're going. And so Jesus then clarifies on this by saying, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you, you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am the, I am He, that would be the Messiah, you will die in your sins. So how do we, how do we not die in our sins? We believe that He is the Messiah. We follow after Jesus, and we're going to see that following after Jesus involves hearing and perceiving, not hearing and not perceiving. They hear His words, they don't understand it, because then they, they ask, well, who are you? They question <laughs> what what a question, right? Who are you? But it's not like Jesus hasn't told them. He says exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning. And if you go back to John, what, what is John telling the reader 
about this question, when when the reader reads this, and we're to go back and go, he is the word that was with God and was God. He is the word made flesh. He is the word that brings light and destroys the darkness. And yet they ask, who are you? They've seen him do wonders. A lot of people are talking, this could be the Messiah. This could be the one we've been waiting for. And yet we see they don't they don't know who it is. And they ask, who are you? And he says, everything I've told you from the beginning, I haven't hidden this from you. I've been open. So here's the thing. If we ask, well, who is Jesus? The truth is this. He is the Messiah, and he has said so from the beginning. The Bible has looked to Jesus as the Messiah. The, the Old Testament foretold and looked to the day where he would come, and the New Testament records what he did and what he did after he left and ascended into heaven. If we want to ask the question, who is Jesus, and how how do we follow him? We need to look to Scripture because it tells you, and Jesus says, I've told you everything from the beginning, and you don't listen. You hear the words, and you don't perceive. And following after Jesus is hearing the words of Jesus and perceiving them, understanding them. And he says, I have many things to say and to judge about you, but none of the, but the one who sent me is true, and what I have heard from him these things I tell the world. He goes, I got a lot to tell you, but I'm going to tell you the things that the one who sent me told you, and I'm going to tell these things to the world. And they did not know he was speaking about the Father, so there's this weird section where they go, well, who are you talking about? And he says, when you lift up the Son of Man, that's the crucifixion, then, then when I am lifted up, when I am crucified, you will know that I am the Messiah. I am he, that means the Messiah, and that I do nothing on my own. And by the way, as he's lifted up, we're going to find out a Roman centurion says, this truly is the Son of God, that as he is lifted up, it's true that he realizes in that moment, he is the Son of God. Now, whether he says that jokingly, mockingly, or ironically, or truthfully, we don't really know, but we do understand that that's almost foretold here. And when he's lifted up, we'll see. It is in the cross that we see. As we hear the words of Scripture, we hear the words of Jesus, understand he's saying, in the cross you will see that I am the Messiah, because the Messiah comes to die and, and to rise again, to defeat sin, so that you can be free. And, and then he goes in about telling him this, as he's saying these things, in verse 30, many begin to believe. So we look at belief and true belief here. What does it mean to follow after Jesus? It means believing in him and continuing in his words, hearing the words, understanding the words, knowing the Father. It also means continuing in the words of Jesus. And so many begin to believe, but they don't really believe, not all of them. Because he says to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You could park on that and say that is the main idea that we've been hitting at. This is the key verse in chapter 8 as we look at those who truly believe in Jesus as Messiah, obey and continue in his word. How do we know that? Because Jesus says, if you continue in my word, this is the way you show you believe in me, that you continue in my word, you are my disciples. And if you do this, if you continue my word and you, know, and you are my disciples, you believe in me, you will know the truth. That is the truth, that he is the true Messiah, and that truth will set you free from the bonds of sin and the bonds of this world. And we can tell that they hear here, but they, and that sounds funny, hear here, they hear the words, but they don't understand them because they say, well, we're descendants of Abraham and we've never been enslaved. How will we become free? They miss the fact he's talking about freedom from sin. And he tells them, truly, I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. So if you've never accepted Christ, you are a slave to your sins. It's clear in scripture. And a slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does. 
be a son of God, be a daughter of God. He's welcoming, welcoming, welcoming us in through belief in him. He says, so if the son sets you free, some of your Bibles read, you are free indeed, or you were really free. The son comes to set us free, follow him and have freedom from our sin. He says, but you're trying to kill me. You're not continuing in the words that I'm speaking. You're living in sin. You're living for this world, and they don't like it. And this ensuing conversation that I encourage you to read uh, about who is the Father, and they're going to claim, well, you have a demon. And he says, I have no demon in me. And he he starts referring back to Abraham because they say we're descendants of Abraham, and Abraham's our father. Well, no, God's our father. And he says, if God was your father, then you would follow what I say. You would believe in me, and you would obey me. So we see that continuing in the words of Jesus come from knowing who Jesus is, and we see that they don't, because there's this lengthy conversation about who's, who's their father, and they say here, well, and in verse 41, they say, well, we have one father, God. Well, that's a good Sunday school answer. They don't believe it for themselves, and they don't follow it, because Jesus says, if you were from the father, you would love me, because I came from God, because if you continue in the words of God, if you follow after Jesus, you love Jesus because you know him, and you know he comes from the Father, and thus you love the Father. He says, I don't come on my own, but the one who sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? They don't understand, because their ears are hearing, but not perceiving. And as we wrap this up, we have this very fun ending here, where the Jews responded to him, aren't we right in saying you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? And Jesus says, no, I have no demon, and I'm not a Samaritan. On the contrary, I honor the Father, and you dishonor me, which means you dishonor the Father. He says, I do not seek, in verse 50, my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges. Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, so here it is again, he will never see death. Keeping the word of God is believing in Jesus, is keeping the words of Jesus, following after Jesus, knowing the Father, hearing and understanding, and he promises you will be free from your sins and you will never see death. That would be spiritual death. And they say, the Jews respond to this in verse 52, now we know you have a demon because Abraham died, and so did the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps him a word, he will never taste death. Now, what he says is you'll never die, and he does refer to that spiritually. He doesn't mean you're going to live in this physical, earthly, sinful realm forever, but you will live in a spiritual realm forever, and it will be a real bodily existence in New Jerusalem. And he says, and they continue in verse 53, are are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Answer, yes. And, And the prophets that died, who do you claim to be? Well, he has claimed to be the Messiah throughout this entire book. And he's going to continue here. If I glorify myself, again, pointing to the Father, true Messiah points to the Father. We talked about that last week, last episode. My glory is nothing if I, if I just simply glorify myself. But my Father, about whom you say he is our God, you've said that yourselves, he is the one who glorifies me, and you don't know him. But I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. He's calling them a liar because they are lying. They don't know God. They're just claiming to know God. They don't follow. They don't continue in the words that they claim to know. He says, I keep his word. I mean, follow this again. And I keep his word. Following after Jesus means continuing in his word, obeying what we read in Scripture, obeying the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to follow after God. He goes, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad And the Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? 
Oh, and here's his claim at deity here. He says, truly, I tell you before Abraham was, I am. This is a direct claim to answer their question, who were you? He says, before Abraham was, I am. I am the word made flesh. I am the Messiah, but I am God. I am divinity in human flesh right here before you saying, follow after me, be free, follow after me and never die. Follow after me and live with God, dwelling with God for all eternity. And they don't want it because in verse 59, the reaction to this is picking up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden because his hour had not yet come. He has complete control over this and went out of the temple. Will you respond to following Jesus by obeying his word or picking up stones to throw at him because you don't like what he has to say? There's only one answer to the question, what does it mean to follow after Jesus? I hope you're following after him, continuing in his word, knowing the Father, hearing the words and understanding them, believing, truly believing and following and continuing in that obedience to Jesus. Thank you for joining me and Rooted Together. I look forward to joining you in John chapter 9 next time. I'll see you there.